verse 1. I'll say it's good to have every one of you in the house of the Lord tonight. All of you that are able to be here, we're thankful that you're here. And I, I do believe the Lord wants to speak to us in this service this evening. I appreciate all of you that was able to be involved in helping with uh, the funeral, preparing of food today, helping my wife with that, and then those that prepared desserts beforehand, and um, being a blessing to the Fields family, and then all that attended the funeral, or the wake the night before, we, we certainly appreciate that. I believe that a church, uh, we ought to do our best to participate in these kind of things, to show one another we love one another and supportive of one another. Can you say praise the Lord? Second Chronicles chapter 29 and uh, verse 1, Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old, and he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priest and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the inhabitation of of the Lord and turned their backs. Also they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offering, offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Also they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burnt incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. I simply from these verses want to teach for a little while upon this subject tonight when God's house becomes your house. When God's house becomes your house. Let's pray that the Lord would bless tonight and have his way in this service. We want him to touch us, minister through his word tonight. God, we're asking you to anoint our efforts in this place tonight, not only anoint the preaching, the teaching of the Word of the Lord, but anoint our ears to hear and to receive and our hearts to be open, God, to receive the Word of the Lord as it comes to us and let it take effect in our lives. As your Word says, lodging place in our hearts, I'm asking you to do great things in this house this evening. We thank you, God, for your presence that we feel. We're asking you, God, to meet with us in this place in the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you clap your hands to the Lord one more time? Praise God. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. How many would agree with me tonight that there's always a vast difference in hosting company in your house as opposed to being a guest in someone else's house? It's a total different dynamic. It's your place, your house, your home, your abode versus going and being in someone else's 
home or being a guest to someone else's uh, particular place of inhabitation. Because when you're a guest in someone else's house, you sort of expect, uh, you don't want to be presumptuous, but by the same token, you sort of have expectations to be waited on. Uh, you don't assume anything. Uh, you don't feel responsible for certain things. In fact, uh, you don't notice maybe some of the flaws of the house when you're visiting like you would if it was your own house. Or if you did notice them, you wouldn't feel a responsibility next necessarily to fix them. And as a guest, you don't feel obligated to clean the house. I've never had anybody over and they said, well, you know, help, I'm going to help you clean this place up a little bit. Matter of fact, I noticed when I was coming in, your lawn needed mowing. I believe I'll trim it up and mow it and weed eat it for you. I never had anybody, when I invited them over, weed the flower beds for me. And certainly nobody has ever offered to pay the bills. But you, as a guest, always have a sense, no matter how familiar you are with the, the people that are involved, or maybe they are good friends, but you, you in a sense, always have uh, the feeling of a outsider because you are in fact a guest you aren't compelled to to necessarily do certain things neither do you assume certain things no matter how accommodating that they are uh, you feel a little check just to go even though they may offer if you're thirsty go to the refrigerator get get any of the articles that are inside if you're hungry go go find something to eat but you know if you're a guest uh, uh, most of the time uh, you're going to feel a little check in doing so. You're not just going to be presumptuous. You're not going to treat it like your home. Uh, if you're a guest, you're you're not really completely comfortable all the time. If you have small children, you're certainly a little uneasy about them. I remember uh, boys are not in here, so I can be a little more open. But uh, as I was evangelizing, I was just young, and our children were young. Matter of fact, first started, uh, Cameron was not even born yet, and uh, pastors, you know, many of them, uh, they hadn't had children in several years living in the home, and uh, most all of them have some type of little knack or, or figurines or something that they collect. Uh, how many has ever been to people's homes and they collect maybe dishes or figurines or there's something that they're into, uh, and usually it's breakable. Hardly ever is it child-proof, and uh, I would just be on edge when we would walk in the house. Matter of fact, on the way up the sidewalk, I'd usually pull Christopher aside and say, Hey, listen here, buddy. When you get in that house, you're going to sit down, and you're going to behave yourself, and you're not going to get out of line. And uh, that usually worked for the first five, ten minutes of the visit. And then uh, I was trying to, while they weren't looking, make eye contact with him. And usually he could read a lot into my facial expressions on what the future held for him when he got home and try to, to, to kind of keep things restrained, you know, a little bit because it just wasn't our house. It just wasn't our home. I didn't want, uh, I didn't want the, the check at the end of the week to be, uh, uh, I didn't want there to be any deductions because of things that were broken through the week, you know, in the revival. So uh, there's always a little bit of concern and uh, lack of totally feeling comfortable, you know, even even with your own parents, when you when you go home.
home to visit if you're not careful. Uh, if you've been away for a long time, they've got certain ways of doing things, and you, you just kind of feel uneasy about just walking in, and, and uh, at least I do, doing, doing things like I would at my house. Had my mother-in-law in late, uh, just recently, and, and uh, you know, it changes the whole dynamics of things because, uh, you know, I'm a grown man, had my own house for, for a long time, and so it, it, it's, a, it's a different type of ordeal and situation. You don't feel uncomfortable uh, inviting necessarily somebody else along with you when it's your house or not your house. You're, um, because it's not your house, you, 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 you know, it's the way uh, you, you decorate it and all of that kind of thing, and the way that people arrange it, you always are a little bit uncomfortable. But when you are the host, it's a, it's a different dynamic. You expect to be one who serves. You expect things to be orderly. You expect to clean. You expect to pay the bills. You expect uh, to notice the details. You're, you're the one that is taking care of the other person. And the overall atmosphere of the home uh, infinitely is more important to you. And when you're the host, you're more comfortable. You're more relaxed. I mean, it's your coffee table. You put your feet on it if you want to. And uh, it's your plate. If you break it, then you you got consequences. It's your refrigerator. You can open it. You can go to it. You can do whatever you want to do, uh, because it's your house, and you set the atmosphere. You're not so concerned about the behavior of your children in your own home. Matter of fact, when I would go in uh, after being in some of these revivals and maybe having, a, uh, you know, preaching revival in one of those places where those folks are kind of staunch and starchy a little bit. When we get to the trailer, I mean, you know, I'd kind of let the boys air out a little bit because this was their home. This was their only domain. This was the only place that maybe they could feel comfortable. i got a point to all of this, so you just kind of stick with me uh, for a little while here tonight. But when it's yours, uh, it's your house, you're a little bit more confident. And uh, when it's your home, you certainly take the responsibility inviting inviting people to come and visit because it is your house. This is your domain. and This is your, your place. And you can invite people into that place, into that home. And you feel comfortable doing so. You want people to come visit. I have people even here in the church that want to buy a new home. They, they want us to come. They want us to see it. They want us to pray over it. They want us to be there because they're, they're proud of their new home. And that's a good thing. In our text, it describes Hezekiah's work on the temple after he became king. You understand that his father Ahaz had apparently not had a very positive attitude towards uh, the house of God. In the days of Ahaz's reign, the Bible says this of him, that he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. When you see a comparison any time in the Scripture with a king, and particularly to King David, immediately when you're reminded of David's life, one of the greatest passions of David's life was worship and praise unto God. And another one of those desires was to build a house unto the Lord. He had noticed that other people, even people that worshipped idols, did not worship uh, Jehovah God, they had a place of worship for their God. 
and his God dwelt in tents, the tabernacle. And so his desire was, was to build a house for the Lord, and he wanted it to be a magnificent thing. And building a house for God was not just a personal ego trip for David uh, so that he could be recognized. Matter of fact, even when God told him, you have too much blood on your hands, you've been a man of war, and I'm not going to allow you to build it. It's going to be built by your son, and uh, generations after you are going to worship in that. Uh, he did not stop. That did not in any way diminish his desire. He, he laid up materials. He got things ready. He made the plans for the house of God because he was very passionate about this. He gathered all the necessary materials for its construction. So when we see another king in Israel compared to King David, it says, it says that he, when it, when it says that he did not that which was right in the eyes or in the sight of the Lord like David, evidently the first thing that we assumed is that he does not have a passion for worship. He does not have a desire and a sacredness in his heart towards the house of God like David did. We can only surmise that this man uh, did not have a real respect for the house of God or for worship like David did because the house of God is a place of worship. Ahaz was uh, very dedicated to Baal worship and he sacrificed his own children unto Baal and can you imagine so evil, so twisted, so deranged as to do something like that but he had no respect for God's house. And the longer that he was king, the longer that he ruled over Israel, the more this became apparent. He had such little respect for God's house that he actually took the oracles of the house of God. Uh, things like certain articles of furniture and implements that were used and worship and sacrifice that had been anointed and dedicated unto God and were only to be used in that holy place. He took them and he gave them the way to other nations around, around him. He gave them to the king of Assyria. He took the vessels from the house of God, many of them, and he broke them into pieces. He, he shut the door of the house of the Lord. Finally, it did not allow the people of the land to go there and to worship God. And so it had it gotten so bad and things had digressed to such a point that no one was going to the house of the Lord and worshiping. There were no priests to give sacrifice for the people. Uh, there, were, there was no sacrifices being made to roll the sins of the people ahead. There was no respect or worship giving given unto God. The Bible says this, For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he made them naked and transgressed sore against the Lord. He has hated Judah. He hated praise. He hated worship. I'm going to tell you, if you want to keep the house of God open and you want to keep a move of God and a revival atmosphere, there's got to be worship. Amen. I said there's got to be praise in the house of the Lord. You want to keep the presence of God here and you want to keep this place a thriving revival atmosphere Amen. You've got to have worship in the house of the Lord for that to be so. Oh, come on now. 
And, and worship is one of those things that is not always predicated on how we feel or how our day has been or maybe even how the period that we're living in is going. Uh, maybe even we're talking about weeks and months that we've maybe been in a difficult time or trial or situation in our lives. We cannot allow praise and worship to be predicated on what's going on currently in our circumstances of life. We have to give praise to God no matter how we feel, what the situations are, what's going on, what's happening. Amen. Praise the Lord. Because it is praise and worship and adoration to God that creates an atmosphere where the presence of the Lord can move and He can operate in this house. I want Him to move in this place. Amen. I, I want him to feel welcome in this house. And it's my worship to him that creates an atmosphere for him to be able to move. Hallelujah. I, I, every time as you study in the word of the Lord where there was a real revival that took place, either in the Old Testament or the New, it always started out with people turning back to God and praying and beginning to worship God. Praise the Lord. When, when you see victories and them overcoming and conquering their enemies, it's always a result of them putting a high priority on trusting God and praising the Lord for the victory. You know the story of Jehoshaphat and how that they were surrounded on every side by the enemy. And Jehoshaphat sought the Lord. He called a solemn, a solemn assembly and he began to fast and pray and asked God for direction and God told him, he said, I want you to not worry about, about the end of how this is going to come out. I want you to put Judah on the front lines. Let them go first and let me take care to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Everything's going to be alright if you'll just trust me and worship me. Oh, I wish we could learn that sometimes. Instead of worrying and fretting and biting our nails off to our elbow, why don't we come to the house of God and say, I'm going to put my cares, I'm going to put my problems, I'm going to put my difficulties and challenges of life aside for a little while, and I'm going to praise you because you're worthy to be praised. I'm going to lift you up regardless of my circumstances, regardless of the trial that I'm in, because I know the only way that I'm going to have victory and the only way I'm going to come out is by your help and by you intervening for me and you, God, leading me into victory. I'm not going to get there by my own ability. I'm not going to get there because I can figure it out by myself. There's some circumstances, some situations, uh, some things that come against us in life uh, that the only thing left to do is just like Jehoshaphat, is to throw up our hands and say, God, you're going to be the one that's going to bring us out. I can't do it. My ingenuity, my abilities, uh, my skills, they all have limits. Uh, and God, I'm all out of options, uh, but I'm turning to you and I'm going to praise you and worship you for the victory. Oh, why don't you clap your hands to the Lord and let's give him praise. But Ahaz, he, he didn't have any love loss for Judah. He hated worship. He hated praise. And you've got to be careful. 
associating with people that have a disdain for worship. You got to be people. You got to be careful with people that mock worship. Uh, you got to be careful with folks that uh, they're never included in the worship service. They're never the one that is involved in what's going on. They're usually spectators to what's happening. They're never engaged in the worship service. When everybody else is worshiping, it's, it's like they're not involved in it. You know what I found out about a real move of God and when people begin to respond to it in worship is it has a way of kind of thinning out those that are really not what they say they are. The hypocrite, uh, the tear, the, the person that is maybe wearing the facade or the mask of being apostolic. When there's a real move of God and people begin to respond and worship, worship's something that you can't fake. Amen. You, 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 you can't just, uh, uh, you, you may be able to be superficial with praise, but real, true worship, heartfelt worship, intimate worship between you and God, uh, you can't fake that. You can't mimic that. You, 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 you can't in any way try to counterfeit that. You, you've got to be genuine when you really worship God. You've got to be sincere when you really get in the presence of God. To have a real encounter with God, you've got to be a worshiper. I said to have a real experience with God, you've got to be a worshiper. I don't know why I feel to, to, to press on this a little bit, but you know what? Uh, Every one of us that received the gift of the Holy Ghost. First of all, the first prerequisite, of course, is to repent of your sins. Amen. You've got to repent to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's a Bible prerequisite. But after that, what we always encourage people to do is say, lift up your hand and let's worship the Lord. And there's something about worship that attracts the Spirit of God, the presence of God. And He comes because the Bible says He lives in Judah or He lives in praise or inhabits the praise of His people. And when we begin to praise Him and worship Him, there's just something about it that He cannot ignore. And He comes and He feels that person with His Spirit and they begin to speak in tongues. That's the evidence of the Holy Ghost. Somebody said, well, when you get the Holy Ghost, you do this or that or uh, I've asked people, did you receive the Holy Ghost? I said, oh, yeah, man, I felt, I felt a warm sensation that ran from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. I said, well, did you speak in tongues? No, but I, I know I got the Holy Ghost because I felt this warm sensation. You know, it, it just began right up here, and it went all the way down to the soles of my feet. I, I, I know I got the Holy Ghost. I said, no, you didn't get the Holy Ghost unless you spake in tongues because that's the evidence of the Holy Ghost. That's what the Bible says. It's not the Holy Ghost itself speaking in tongues, but that's the evidence of the Holy Ghost. When he takes this most unruly member of your body and takes control of it and begins to speak through you in that heavenly language, that's how you know that you got the Holy Ghost. That's the sign. That's the evidence that the Holy Ghost just came upon you. Praise the Lord. Well, I, I fell out. grade school I went to a uh, and, and this is when the charismatic world was just I mean going going strong and uh, there were some real wackos around where we lived and, and I went to a charismatic Christian school and I mean during chapel service you could see all kinds of stuff 
you know, I mean, it had a form of what we were as apostolics, but there was just something that was crazy about it. I, I can't explain it. And uh, uh, I remember talking to one lady. I said, you got the Holy Ghost? And she said, yeah. I said, uh, do you speak in tongues? I said, she said, yeah. She said, uh, I said, well, uh, let me ask you something about, about your speaking in tongues. Is it something that you can just do at will, or is it, or is it by inspiration of God? She said, oh, I can speak in tongues anytime. And she just started blurting it out. And uh, right there, and uh, in between math questions. And uh, I thought about that, scratched my head. I was just a little boy. I said, but doesn't the Bible say as the Lord gives the utterance? It's got to be inspired of God. I mean, you, you can just uh, you can go from having a, a fit on somebody and being angry, and all of a sudden you can just blurt that out. I don't know about all that. And I know there's varying ideas about all of that, but I'm just telling you, I believe that this is inspired of God. I believe there's something sacred about it. I don't, I don't believe we ought to demean it, and, and I don't believe we ought to, to devalue it like that. Amen. I put, a, I put a sacredness on these things. They mean something to me. Amen. I, I don't want it to lose its sanctity. I, I don't want it to lose its specialness to me. But then on the flip side of that, I don't ever want the Holy Ghost to become such a rarity and speaking in tongues to become such a rarity in my life that uh, I'm not continually and, and often renewed in the Holy Ghost. I believe that we all ought to be tongue talkers. Praise the Lord. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all. Is that what he said? And then he said in another place when he was trying to correct them, on their misuse of the gifts of the Spirit, he said, I would rather you say uh, uh, words in a known, a known tongue than to say 10,000 or whatever it was in, in, a, in an unknown tongue and seemingly like you're more spiritual than anybody else and abusing those gifts. But then he goes back and he says, I speak in tongues more than you all. What is that telling me? That's telling me that he had personal devotion before God where he often spoke in tongues in his own prayer life and was renewed in the Holy Ghost. In other words, his speaking in tongues wasn't for the benefit of everybody to hear him. It was in his devotion and prayer to God that he was renewed often in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you, the only time you talk in tongues is when you're here in the house of God. You need to reevaluate things because it's not limited to that. Amen. I'm telling you, you can speak in tongues in the worship service. You can't be renewed in the worship service, but that should not be the only time that you speak in tongues. What about you in your personal prayer meetings? What about in your personal devotions to God? You ought to be a tongue talker. You ought to be renewed in the Holy Ghost. You ought to pray through until you speak in tongues. And it's good every once in a while to just, just, just go and find a place to pray and say, you know what, I'm going to pray until I pray through. I'm going to pray until I get the victory. Come on now. I'm not punching a clock. I'm not just going to give him 15 minutes or 20 minutes, and if he doesn't do it in that amount of time, then I'm on my way. But I'm going to pray until I pray through. Praise God. That's, that's the way we used to do it, and that's the way we're still going to need to do it if we're going to keep the victory in this hour. Can you say amen? Come on, clap your hands to him and give him some praise here tonight. But, but all of this kind of spawns out of our willingness to worship God. 
I've never seen a church that in my travels or even here as a pastor in our services, I've never seen much happen when people was obstinate when it came to worship. Our people was reluctant when it came to worship. And, and some are always worried, well, we're going to get out there on the edge. You know, we're going to get too demonstrative, and I don't want to... I don't want any wildfire. Well, you can always you can always tame people down more than you can fire them up usually. Amen. I'd rather rein people in than you know I, I, horseback riding. I I don't know why they always put me on the duds, but I usually come back not 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 having said, man, that was a wild horse. That was a that was that was a rodeo style horse. I mean that thing. Was, was raring and ready to go. They usually put me on one that's about 25, 30 years old, and there's no way you could get hurt on it. I guess they just look at me and say, he's not a cowboy. And so we're just going to make sure this guy don't get hurt because we're not going to get blamed for him if he gets hurt. So we're going to put him on the biggest dud we got. And I end up kicking that thing down the trail. And I come back, my calves are sore, can't walk. Not because the horse was so wild, but because he was so docile and so mild. And he didn't have no fire in him anymore. Amen. I'd rather be pulling back on the reins and have to put the spurs to him anytime. Amen. That's the way I am with the church. I'd rather have to pull back on the reins, and I have had to pull back on the reins. You can believe that or not a few times. I'd rather do that than to have to kick something in gear all the time and have to be inspiring it to, to move or pushing it to move. I'm kind of like the preacher that, that uh, went down to the railroad tracks every day at a certain time and just parked his car beside him. Finally, somebody got kind of suspicious and said, what's going on with the preacher? And uh, what's happening? And uh, the preacher, we noticed every day at a certain time you go down there and you sit in your car by the tracks. What is going on? He said, well, he said, I like to go down there and watch the train. Why do you like to watch the train? He said, well, I just like to see something that moves when I don't have to push it. I can identify. Amen. I like something that moves and you ain't got to push it all the time. You ain't got to pull it all the time. Praise the Lord. Is that the way you feel? I'd like to come to church and just have spontaneous worship. I realize that the church is... And worship is not always spontaneous. We go through seasons. A church is a living organism. It has ups and downs. It has, uh, I hate to say it this way, but it's, it, it, it's it, any, anything that you are affected with in your life as a person, you can figure that as corporate, as a church, we're also affected by it. When there's death, we're affected by it. When there's sickness, we're affected by it. It affects the emotions of a church. And whether we want to admit it or not, worship is connected to that. Worship is a part of our emotional makeup. But we got to get past that sometimes and realize that even when worship is not spontaneous, that many times in the Scripture it required sacrifice to worship God. Matter of fact, that's what Abraham had to give in, in that first mentioning of worship in the Word of God. He offered a sacrifice unto the Lord. And by offering that sacrifice... Amen. He was able to seek God in a way that he had never seen him in that previous relationship that he had with God. When he was willing to sacrifice, he seen him as Jehovah Jireh. 
And there's some things that you'll never witness God being in your life. You'll never experience him being in your life until you're willing to worship him in sacrifice. What do you say? I'm saying when you don't feel like it. I'm saying when it's a struggle to. When, when it means that you're going to have to give up something and you still worship God. You still magnify the Lord. You still lift up your hands. You still lift your, up your voice to God. You still give him praise. That's when you'll see him in ways that you never saw him before. That's when the church will see a move of God like it's never saw before. That's when we'll witness revival like we've never witnessed it before. You want to see him as Jehovah Jireh, Abraham, you've got to be willing to put your son on the altar. And on and on. Praise God. That little Syrophoenician woman who didn't have a covenant with God, wasn't a child of promise, a Gentile, before her time, pushed through the doors, the dispensational doors that would try to hold her back. And she said, I know I'm coming in before it's my time, but my daughter's in a desperate situation, and I need deliverance for her. And she besought him, and the Bible says that she worshipped him. She had a revelation of what the rest of those little Jews around there didn't have, and that was if you'll worship the Lord, you can get something from him. He cannot ignore worship and praise that is given unto him. There's a lot of other things. He said he, he, he called her a dog. He tried to discourage her. He tried to dissuade her. But, but she worshipped him, and she found deliverance for her daughter. He said, by the time you get back home, you're going to see a change in that girl. Praise the Lord. I'm going to tell you, if you learn how on even a Wednesday night like tonight that I'm going to worship God, I'm going to praise God, I'm going to magnify, things could be different by the time you get back home. Miracles and things you've been praying about and agonizing and calling out to God for, God could turn it all around in just one worship service. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The Bible said, the Bible said that he was there in the coast of Tyre and Sidon hiding. He was there to take a little sabbatical to get away from the crowds. But the Bible says something interesting. It says he could not be hid. I'm going to tell you something. God can never be hid from somebody that will worship him. Somebody that will praise him. We'll always be able to find him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's what Job decided. He said, I already looked to my left and I looked to my right and I went before me and went behind me. I couldn't find him, couldn't see him, couldn't feel him. But he said, Behold! I know my Redeemer lives. And he said, I don't know and understand why I'm going through what I'm going through. But he said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I'm still going to worship him. Devil, you can take everything but my worship and my praise to God. I'm going to give him glory. I'm going to give him thanks. I'm going to praise him even in the midst of my circumstances. If, if we ever got a revelation of that, wonder what God could do in our lives, what God could do in our church, what God could do in our family, what kind of revival God could give us. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But this is the very thing. I better get back to my message. You guys are sitting there so disinterested, I thought I may, may get off on something else. Praise God. But anyhow, 
Ahaz hated worship. He hated praise. He let the house of God get grown up with weeds and brush. He let paint flake on the siding of the house of God. He let cobwebs form in the corner and breaches appear in the walls. He'd taken out all the holy things there, holy articles and oracles of the house of God, and he had given them away or he had broken them into pieces. And the house of God became dilapidated and ran down and began to fall apart. And it was into this kind of atmosphere. Can you imagine that Hezekiah, his son, walks into to become the leader of Israel? And doubtless, doubtless, Hezekiah had worshipped at this temple many times as a child that was growing up. Doubtless before it became dilapidated to the place that it was not being used anymore, he had walked through the doors that were now in disrepair many times without really considering them or even thinking about it as his responsibility or feeling compelled in any way to do anything to change the condition of the house of God. But when Hezekiah became king, his perspective of the house of God totally changed. And it's evidenced in this scripture that I read to you. Before he had attended as a guest, he had been a, a frequenter of the house of God, but he had never really taken responsibility for the house of God. But now, as king, he begins to feel responsibility and a sense of ownership of the temple. And immediately when he begins to reign, when God's house became his house, he made it a personal responsibility and a goal and an ambition to restore and revive the temple, the house of God. It's then that he wanted to bring worship back. It was then that he wanted the house of God to be full. And I want to ask you a question tonight. Has God's house really ever became your house? Amen? Or are you just a guest? Are you just a person that attends here or frequents this place? Some folks go to church for years and never feel responsibility for the house of God. They, they attend church and they come regularly to church, but they never take the burden of the house of God. They never catch the vision of that house they see it as belonging to somebody else when they speak about the church it's always that church and their church and the pastor's church but never our church or my church it's never we we go to church here and that's our church and that's where we belong but when you take ownership of the house of God a commitment begins to grow and there's a connection that is there. Come on now. And, and things, you, you begin to seek ways to improve it and add to it and to build it and to make it better because it's not just their church anymore and it's not that church anymore, but it's your church. It's my church. This is my family's place of worship. This is our house of God. This is where we go to connect with God. As long as I'm just an attender, as long as I'm just a regular visitor, if you want to say it that way, to the house of God, as long as I stay 
uh, close but still disconnected, then it will never improve for me. It will never become what it needs to be. The congregation, if it's to have revival, if there's to be growth, if we're to reach our city, if we're to see souls added to the church, as the Bible says, such as should be saved, if it's to become stronger, if it's to become a place where people can can feel the presence of God and come and enjoy the glory of God and, and guests, we can invite guests to the house of God, then we have got to take ownership of the house of the Lord. Amen. It cannot be just somebody else's church or that's just where I go occasionally. But you've got to be faithful to the house of God. You've got to, you've got to make a connection and a commitment to that house that this, this is where... I'm going to church, and this is where, though there may be ups and downs, I'm going to tell you, any church, anywhere, any pastor, any congregation, there's going to be ups and downs, folks. There's going to be highs and there's going to be lows. There's going to be times when you're flying high, and there's going to be times when it feels like, well, you know, every service can't be a home run. Sometimes it's just got to be a base hit, folks. I wish I could tell you that every sermon I preach, man, the ball just went out of the park. Sometimes I don't even get a good bunt. Sometimes I just feel real forces to get on base. But we just keep trying. We keep coming back. Amen. And what you really pay attention to is the average, not, not just one situation, one particular scenario or one particular period of time, but over over the long haul, where's this thing going? Where's this thing headed? Praise the Lord. And I can look back over the short history of this church and I can see growth and I can see revival and I can see lives being changed. Amen. And so that's what we observe and that's what we look at and that's what we go by. Amen. Because we understand that there's, there's going to be mountains and valleys and, and all of that. The Bible tells us that that the land of Canaan was a land of hills and valleys. And, and the Lord told them, when you go into that land, you can't treat that land like Egypt. Because Egypt had the Nile running through it, which irrigated their crops, which they could derive water from. But, but in the land of Canaan, it's a land of hills and valleys, and you're going to have to depend upon the rain from heaven. That's what the Scripture says if your days are going to be prolonged. In other words, you're going to have to trust God. You used to, could go and water it with your feet. You could go and march down there to the Nile and get you a bucket of water and pour it, and you had all the water that you needed. Or you could dig canals and, and, and figure a way through ingenuity to get water to your crops. But if you're, going to, if you're going to have a harvest in the land of Canaan, you're going to have to depend upon the rain of heaven. You read that in your Bible. Praise the Lord. And if revival comes, it's not going to come because we will it. It's not going to come because we're talented. It's not going to become a, a revival church because this is just the way we want it to be. Amen. we got a hunger for it. we got a desire it. But ultimately, it's God that builds the house. Amen. And if he doesn't build the house, they that labor, labor in vain that build it. Unless, unless God keeps the city, the Scripture says, amen. The watchman watcheth, but in vain. 
So we, we're always stuck depending on God and trusting in God. And that's why when we come to the house of God, we're trusting Him that He's going to move. We do all we can do. We come, we pray, we worship. Amen. We do all we can do, create the atmosphere. But ultimately, we need some rain from heaven. We need revival to be poured out. We need the Spirit of God to come. We need the presence of the Lord to visit us. I want Him to visit in every service. I, I want His presence to feel welcome here at any time. I take ownership of it. The Bible said there was immediately some things that he did. First of all, he, he made he made a place in his life for the Levite, for the preacher, the priest. He said, I'm a king, I'm a ruler, I'm a man of position, I'm a man of means, I'm a man of authority, but I'm still willing to submit myself to a man of God. I understand there's some things I don't know about this book. And I need you to interpret this book to me. You tell us what to do and we'll do it to bring revival to the land. And there's got to be a certain amount of submission to spiritual authority if you're ever going to be blessed in your life. You've got to have a, a pastor in your life. You've got to have a man of God in your life. I am a pastor and got a pastor. You've got to have a man of God in your life. And you've got to give way to somebody to be able to preach to you the word of the Lord if you're going to be saved and tell you what you need to do to be saved. And they begin to say, this is the way this needs to be done. You need to repair these things, and this is how it needs to happen, and, and this is what needs to take place. And we begin to study this, and we, we begin to read this, and we begin to find out the meaning of this, and this is how it needs to happen, Hezekiah, if we're going to have revival in the house of the Lord. And he said, whatever you say, if God told you that, that's what we're willing to do because we want revival. And in a church of any size, you're going to have people that have intelligence levels in areas that the pastor doesn't have. He doesn't have skills and talents. I don't know how. Brother David over there, he knows how to rebuild an engine. I can't change. I can't change spark plug. I can't heart change oil. It's been so long, I about forgot where that little deal is where you, where you do that. Amen. But you know what? I thank God there's somebody that can do it. But that's not my area of expertise. Amen, old brother. Dumb die back there. He can work on a computer, man. He can tear one apart. He knows all the hardware and software and all that good stuff. I don't know. Either. I just know how to turn it on. I know how to do a little word processing. I know how to make a printer print. I know I finally figured out how to get it down on my iPad. And sometimes that fouls up. I get right out here in church time, and I got to just go by what's well, I got up top, and that's and sometimes that's not enough. I lose all all my notes, and I don't know where they're out there in cyberspace somewhere floating around. Somebody, somebody's gonna find them someday, and they're gonna have a whole lot to preach because I've lost so much out there in the internet world. I don't know nothing about computers as far as just the average things, and anybody else would know how to operate one. That's not my area of expertise. And I'm not going to get up and I'm not going to fuss about how to rebuild an engine. And I'm not going to fuss with Brother Dumb Die about how to run a computer. But I'm amazed that the people want to question me about the Word of God that have probably never read the Bible. And they want to fuss and they want to argue and they want to debate about crazy things that they don't have any sense in. 
They don't have any intelligence in. I'm going to tell you, when you want to talk Bible, if you want to talk about Peter, James, and John, I can talk with you. I can't talk about which one's the best engine, Ford or Chevy. I have no idea. All I know is to put the key in there, turn it on, and uh, change oil every 3,000 miles. And if you see the check engine light, something's gone wrong. Amen. But I learned a long time ago, I'm going to trust that to them. And I'm going to take care of what God called me to do. Because everybody has their jurisdiction. Everybody has their area of expertise. Because we're all folks who are coming together. And somewhere or another, this king realized, I may rule the people. I may have means. I may have wealth. I may have all of this going for me in other areas. But I still need a man of God in my life. Praise the Lord. So it was with David. He took off those kingly robes. He put on a linen ephod. At some point, if you're going to get in the presence of God, you've got to take off your managerial robe. You've got to take off your expertise robe out there, and you've got to come in the house of God and realize, I need the presence of the Lord more than I need anything else. Come on now. Oh, clap your hands and let's praise the Lord together. So first of all, he said, Whatever, whatever's in that book, you tell us what we need to do. He established the priesthood again. And then he said, we got to get these doors open. And we got to get these lamps on. Got to light these lamps in the house of God. There's got to be light in the house of God. And the doors have got to be open. This can't be a closed place. Can I tell you, if we're going to have a revival, this can't be a closed atmosphere. This can't be us four no more. This just can't be us, and every service can't be designed just for us. Hey, we're going to try some things. Sometimes it's going it's to maybe uh, be different than what you're used to. Oh, I hit a bump there. I can see. Amen. But we're trying to reach souls. We're not just trying to minister to us. If we got to pray you through every weekend, we're not going to be able to pray through anybody else. we got to get you through the blessing every time you come to church. You know, some Pentecostals are worse than drug addicts. They've got to come to church, get another dose of the Holy Ghost so they can make it another week. I'm going to tell you, my God's more powerful than that. He said, greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. You should have a daily relationship with God that gives you victory to walk with him and be righteous and make the right choices every day. And, and it shouldn't be that on Sunday is like your day to get a, another trip in the Holy Ghost or another fix. Amen. Come on now, I know and I understand that we're going to all need to be renewed, but that's why I'm talking about a personal relationship with God. Come on now, that's why I'm talking about a day-to-day -day relationship with God. And that's why I'm so emphatic, if you don't have a prayer life, and all you do is wait, down, wait until you're totally, uh, totally drained spiritually, before you get in the presence of God to get something else from God. That's not the way we live for God. We live for God, amen, staying full of the Holy Ghost. You know, I never have understood people that uh, they go to the gas station. What is gas? About three, three, little over $3 a gallon. They say, give me $5 worth of gas. Put $5 in. I mean, they ain't hardly got enough gas to get down to the next gas station. 
until they got to stop and get some more. Might as well Bible school day. Five dollars going a lot longer back then, though. I remember, if you can believe it, I remember. I, I'm not really all that old, but I can remember when gas was 63 cents a gallon. Oh, man, I think I died and went to heaven if it was 63 cents a gallon. Now, you know what? I may keep that old Ford if it just keeps on 63 cents a gallon. I, I believe I'd keep it until Jesus came back. But I'd sell it pretty cheap right now at $3 a gallon. But that's the way some people live for God. One church service to the next. Just get enough. Whew. Think I can make it to Wednesday night. I mean, that's if I don't get taxed too much. It's not required to me uh, too much that I can finally make it to Wednesday. And then, whew, I finally got just coasted in on vapors into the church service on Sunday. Come on, some of you laughing, but you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I think I can make it till Sunday night. Sunday night, oh, they get a little more, you know, they maybe get $10 worth on Sunday night. And I can make it back around to, to Wednesday night. Come on, living for God's got to be more than that. I said it's got to be more than that. Come on, you, you need to fill your tank up and keep it full. You don't need to wait until your gas gauge is all the way down there on E before you get a prayer life before you get concerned about getting in the presence of God, before you start really getting hungry to come back to the house of God, before you really you get a desire and your attention and focus is turned towards God. You don't need to wait until there's a problem, there's a crisis, there's a desperate situation. Come on, folks. We can live for God victoriously every day. Hallelujah. You believe that? Praise the Lord. But we we got to get victory. Stay. Full. Everybody say full. Full of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that what he said? He said, be not drunk with wine as in, as in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I don't find anywhere in the Bible, I see several places where it talks about people being filled or being full of the Holy Ghost, but I never see any places where it says uh, this person was half full of the Holy Ghost. I never find where that is permissible. Or this person just had a little bit. No. Amen. Everybody that you read about in the New Testament was full of the Holy Ghost. That church, the reason it was a revival church, is because those folks were full of the Holy Ghost. They stayed full of the Holy Ghost. The light. You've got to turn the light on. Amen. You know, that, that, that was a required routine service to the house of God to make sure all those lamps had oil in them and they were lit. Bible says in a time of total spiritual uh, depravity a time when Samuel was was coming on the scene that Eli the Bible says that his eyes grew dim and it was a dark day for not only uh, physically in the temple but also spiritually because the light had went out in the house of God he didn't have any vision he didn't have any concern for anybody but himself and therefore, there was no light shining in the house of God. I'm going to tell you, when the church loses its vision, there will be no light shining in this world. When we lose our vision, we'll, we'll not be interested in reaching the lost anymore. It's going to be a dark day for this church because you cannot just maintain what you got and continue to have a thriving church. The church is only one generation away from extinction. Come on now. One generation away. 
That's why you've got to constantly be reaching. You've got to constantly be invited. Come on, live outside of yourself, and let's invite our co-workers, our friends, and everybody we can to the house of God. So let's open these doors. Let's make this a place where people feel free to come. Evangelism. We need to get back busy in evangelism as a church. I'm going to tell you, as long as we're inward and as long as we're only concerned about our own needs, I'm going to tell you, you're always going to have needs. You're always going to have situations. And when you're totally focused on them, you'll never be happy. But when you start living outside of yourself and ministering to other people and serving other people and loving other people and having compassion towards other people, first of all, you see that you haven't got it so bad. You start counting your own blessings when you start dealing with other folks. You just think you got it bad until you start ministering to the people that are really in need. Then you start realizing, hey, I've got it pretty good. Amen? When you start living outside of yourself and you start looking around where there's needs. Amen. Somebody told me one time about a lady that was in their church that was that was depressed and, and just, uh, just always uptight and didn't always living in sorrow and came to their office and, and said, you know what, I, I don't know what, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm caving in, I'm depressed all the time. He said, I, I, got, I got something I want you to do. I said, what's that? He said, I want you to bake five pies and I want you to take them to the shut-ins and to the people that are sick here in the church. Take five of them and I want you to pass them out. She was aghast. I, I came in here to get some help from me. I, I ain't talking about them people. I, I, I came in here to get some help for myself. She said, you just do what I say. She went and passed them five pies out. And it uh, wasn't but a few days later, he saw her, had a big old smile on her face. He said, well, how are you doing? She said, you know what? When I got my attention off of myself and started focusing on ministering to somebody else, all of a sudden I found joy like I've never found before. As a matter of fact, I've been I've been baking some more pies and I'm gonna pass some more out. I'm gonna I'm gonna try. That's the little thing that I can do to try to bring comfort and help to somebody's life. I'm gonna tell you, we start living outside of yourself. You're gonna find out that's where the blessings of God are. Some of the greatest blessings I've ever received is around this altar praying for somebody else. I've got renewed in the Holy Ghost praying for somebody else to get the Holy Ghost. I've seen people get the greatest blessings and shout and dance all across this front while they was praying for somebody else to get blessed. Amen. There's something about it. God responds to our needs and our situations when we start He'll respond to the needs of this church. It's been proven when we give to missions, God gives back to us. Sometimes I thought, man, why give $50,000? Across the ocean. But you know what? When we started doing that, God started blessing this church in a way that we've never been blessed before. And we've never had to get up and just beg and, and spend every week, you know, wondering how we're going to pay the light bill around here or how we're going to get the church note paid for. And, matter of fact, we're closer than we've ever been to dancing and shouting in a paid off church. Isn't that a glorious thing? because there's people that's willing to think outside of just themselves and I appreciate that so much we was able to give $3,000 just this couple weeks or when was it last weekend uh, no, the weekend before to this uh, man that's going to go start a church in Denver just, just living outside of ourselves that's where it's at that's where the blessings of God are 
Hallelujah. And you've always responded to that, and I appreciate it. That's where our blessing is. He said, get the lights on, open the doors. And when it becomes your house, you feel compelled to invite somebody to it. And then they restored the altar. He said, no sacrifice has been made, but we're fixing to get some sacrifices back on the altar. When our sacrifice increases, when our consecration increases, when our willingness to pay the price increases, then we'll see. David said, I'm not going to try to offer something that God didn't cost me anything. When we're willing to pay the price, God will give us the promises. God will give us revival. God will pour his spirit out upon this church. Do you believe that? Amen. And then, of course, incense was offered up. And this goes back to our prayer and our worship. I want to tell you, there's two things we should never let die in our personal lives and in this church for sure. is prayer and worship. He said, my house should be called a house of preaching, a house of singing, a house of fellowship. No, he said, a house of prayer. Come on now. You need to bring your family up here to the church. You need to pray. Make this house. I realize we do praying in our homes. We do praying in other places. We do all that, and that's needful. But this is the only house that God said is called the house of prayer. So we need to make it the house of prayer. When it becomes the house of prayer, it'll become a house of blessing. It'll become a house of revival. It'll become a house where souls can be filled with the Holy Ghost. It'll become a house where prayers are answered. It can become a place, a connect point, where people can find God. You believe that? When God's house becomes our house. When it becomes personal with you, it's not a duty, it's a devotion. When it becomes personal with you, it's not theirs and that place, it's my, my place. That's where I go to church. And that's when the church grows and that's when the church flourishes is when I can make that commitment to it. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet? Let's lift up our hands to the Lord. And I want you to pray with me. God, help Help, help this house to become my house, the house of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God, help it to become a commitment with me, a dedication with me, a consecration with me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We want revival, God. We want, we want to see lives change. We want to see people blessed. We want to see souls come in. But God, help me to find a place to serve in this house. Help me find a place where I can do something for you in this house. Hallelujah. Let me just say this. I'm announcing this now. That's this next year. The theme that I really feel in my heart is serve. Just one word, serve. Amen. Before revival can come, you've got to get an attitude of serving. I, I want you to be praying you're not connected somewhere or doing something in the house of God around here somewhere in some type of place you're not involved, I want you to pray, where could I serve? Where could I, is it a Sunday school class? Is it, is it driving the bus? Is it, is it involved in outreach? Is it helping Brother Calhoun with, with uh, guest follow-up? Is it, is it in, in the choir? Is it playing a musical instrument? Is it, I got to be more than just ride a pew to eternity. I gotta be more than just a pew dweller. I gotta be more than just an attender. I wanna be a server in the house of God.
be praying about that. Would you do that? God bless you tonight. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Thank you so much for your attention tonight. This is a great church, great audience, and we appreciate you so much. We're thankful for uh, all that you do to make this thing go. But I believe we can even have a greater church. Amen? Shake hands with one another. Greet one another. God bless you. Sunday we're going to have a good time, and the Holy Ghost invites somebody to the house of God.